Hi, welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, City View. It's been a minute since I've been here. I have missed you, but it is nice to be back. I can't believe I've missed four weeks, week five. That was weird to hear. Um, First Peter, um, and uh, it's just coming back. Is, is the people have gotten pregnant since I've been gone? Um, people are like ready to have their baby since I've, I feel like last time I saw you, like you were pregnant and now it's like, when's this baby coming out? And it's just, it's been crazy seeing all this and seeing it on social media. And then our renovations, I don't know if you guys have gotten to walk around and see the renovations, um, but they are coming along just crazy fast that our 2000 building got painted um, inside. If you want to go take a peek inside, the lighting is getting ready to go in soon. Pray that the lighting packs or the trim packs or whatever they're called, the thing, the lights parts, um, that those come in because uh, that's all they're waiting on right now. But that, those rooms and the kids' rooms are all getting like good air conditioning instead of the old ghetto ACs you would have in like those hotels like Econo Lodges and Motel 6 where you turn it on and it goes, you know, that's what we used to have in there for our kids. So if you had a kid in children's ministry, the teacher would have to yell over that. And so the kid's like, stop yelling at me. And they're like, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling with the air conditioner. Um, and so those are getting ready to those. You can see the units outside. So it's, it's, I'm pretty excited. So make sure you go and look around and check out all that that's happening here. And if, if you want to be a part of it, if you want to be a part of helping, there are some things that, that we still need to buy that we're not in the like all the renovations. Like we want to put some TVs in our kids' rooms. We would love to put a playground up for our kids. We'd love to build a playground. We'd love to do that. Um, that's not in like the budget. So we're like, okay, when can we do that? What does that look like and how much? If you know playgrounds, they can be expensive. We don't want to do like a $100,000 one. That would be nice, but like we just want to make, make a playground for our kids. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can come and talk to me and I can let you know how that works. So we're in week five of Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And it landed on, I get to talk about marriage, which I love marriage, because I love my wife. And I think we have a pretty solid marriage. Um, We've been married for 21 years, two years, 22 years, (laughs) 22 years. It feels like 55, 50. 22 years, that's, that's a long time. We've figured things out. We've failed a lot. We still, as parents, we're still trying to figure that out. We have a 16-year-old, and we're trying to figure out how to parent a 16-year-old. We have a 14-year-old for the second time, but he's totally different than our last one. So they don't, like, they don't make, they're not the same. You have one, and then you get another one, and you don't get a second chance. You get a first chance and a new one. So you, now then we have a 10-year-old, and he's totally different than all my other 10-year-olds. I've had two of them so far. He's my third 10-year-old, and he's nothing like my other two 10-year-olds. So I could talk about marriage, not really parenting. But as I was thinking about marriage, I was thinking about, man, to really have a good marriage, you've got to figure out why do you do what you do? Your why in life will drive every area of your life. Simon Sinek in his book, Start With Why, says this. Working hard for something we do not care about is called stress. Stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. My friend Mark Reiswig says it this way. Because we're not supposed to be working hard. But 
in marriage relationships, doing hard things for something we don't care about is called stress. But doing hard things for something we love is called passion. Passion isn't something you like or love. Passion is something you are willing to go through pain for. If it hasn't hurt you, is it truly a passion? So your why is key. Why do you work out? You know, if your workout is, to, if your, your passion is to be healthy and to be fit, well, working out means you're gonna go through some pain, aren't you? If you don't go through pain while you're working out, then are you really working out? My wife's passion, she loves to hike, loves to hike. I love my wife, so we hike. Um, but you know what? When you hike, and I'm not talking about a stroll around the base of a mountain. I'm talking about you're walking up a mountain and you are in pain when you're done because your feet hurt, your butt hurts, your legs hurt, and you are just so tired from being out. But that's passion. I love golf. I love the golf. I'm not very good at it yet. I've been playing golf for, I don't know, 20-something years. At what point do you stop saying I'm not very good at it and you just admit I'll never be good at it? But the pain of losing more balls than you paid for the round of golf. <laughs> you see, when, when you have a passion and you're willing to hurt for it, there's a why behind it because you love it, because it's a passion for it. You're, you're willing to hurt for it. Like learning the guitar doesn't start easy. If a musician wants to learn how to play one of these guitars, you don't pick it up and you're like, oh, this is so easy. You have to build up calluses. There's pain that's involved for a passion that you love. Many of us, we just want to walk into something and do it, but there's pain involved in anything you love to do. You see, marriage will come with pain. But when we know our why, it helps us get through. So what's your why today, as you probably found out, some of you are like, I'm not married yet. Okay, just maybe you've been married but today I want to paint a picture of what a healthy marriage looks like, what a thriving marriage looks like, what a thriving woman and what a thriving man looks like. So why stay married if you're married? Is it for many people they stay married because they made a commitment, they signed a paper like, well, I guess I'm in it. So that's their why. I'm, I'm married and I've always thought you never get divorced. You just don't. That's just what you do. You Divorce is not. Is that your only why? Is your why because, well, I'm going to stay married for the kids. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've heard that. I'm staying married for the kids. And so you do that. You, you have this horrible, miserable home life. Your kids know you hate each other. Your wife, your spouse, you both know you don't like each other, but you're staying married for your kids, and your kids are going, I'm not stupid. For the benefit, you fill in whatever blank you want to. But why? These whys of just doing it because of the kids, because of the paper, because of I get a tax write-off, will they ground you? 
And what happens in that marriage if all of a sudden the one you love gets terribly sick and you have to care for them? What if the one you love, the one that's provided for you, loses their job and now financially you don't know how you're going to make You stayed because they were a great provider, but now that's gone. What do you do? What do you do if the, your why leaves you? Will your why keep you? So why? Peter says this. Why stay married? For the Lord's sake. I. I will commit. For the Lord's sake, I, I will follow his example. For the Lord's sake, I. But why? Why do it? Why for the Lord's sake? Because God's grace is great. I will stay humble. Because God's grace is great, I will love like Jesus. Because God's grace is great, I will go through pain. Peter says, and here's what you're to do with that. He told us last week as Jared preached, the action is to do what is right. Your why comes with this, to do it with respect, to submit. So your, your why in marriage is key to having a healthy thriving marriage. Your why is because of his grace. Your why is for his sake because he loved you and you love others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us and Lord, for never leaving us nor forsaking us, for not letting us down and always being faithful. So Jesus, I ask that you would encourage us and speak to us this morning. Speak to your people throughout the valley, Lord, at the churches they're at. Lord, I pray for um, my friend Nate over um, out in Surprise at Known Church. Lord, speak through him. And Lord, I pray for Grace Point Church as they are looking for a pastor. I God, I ask that you give them wisdom and discernment on, on what that next step looks like. I pray for Ben as he just took over Relentless Church. Lord, give him wisdom as he leads. And God, I ask your blessings upon us here at City View Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Feels like I've been gone forever. It took me forever to get into a zone of preaching and putting together a sermon. I talked to Jared earlier. I'm like, dude, I've been out of, out of the seat for like four weeks now and trying to get back into the zone of doing, because I, I just, and, but I've missed you guys. And, and I just want to thank, say thank you to Jared. Mark, is, our, our team too is in, uh, they're in the Dominican Republic. Thank you to Mark and Brian Gandy, the, uh, the team that he is serving with, uh, they're in Africa now, and just thankful for all of them and all of you guys for just allowing my wife and I have some time. My wife and I, people have been asking me, how was your time away? Was it so restful? Uh, Laramie and I got a week away. Um, so that was super nice. The other two weeks, one, our, our renovation started, and so I had to be here for meetings. We had just gotten back from summer camp, so I had to go to a debriefing. I got to go to a debriefing with my uh, youth team and just talk about how camp was. And then I was supposed to do a wedding um, for a good buddy of mine that I've, been in, I've known since elementary school, and things happened with that. And then my wife and I went away, and then, last, and then the last week was, it was somewhat restful, but also somewhat just, yeah. I just didn't get to totally turn my brain off. But it was super nice to have a couple weeks off, and I'm just thankful for just those men that were able to come up and preach through Peter. And now we're in chapter 3. We're continuing this series of Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And as I was putting this series together last year at this time, 
This study in First Peter, I, I just as I was looking at Peter and, and his life, and if, I don't know how much you know about this, the guy who wrote this letter. I didn't catch Jared's first week, but Peter was one of Paul's, or not Paul, Jesus' 12 disciples. He's probably the most well-known of all of them. He, he was the leader of them. He was the most outspoken of them. He's the only one who tried to cut off a guy's ear. Um, he's the only one that got to walk on water. Um, he experienced being in prison and then watching the prison doors open. He experienced being beat. He experienced seeing Jesus do some miraculous things. He also experienced a heart that was so hard at the beginning. He's a fisherman, modern-day construction worker, modern-day just those guys that, you know, are just hard. You walk up to them, and they're just, they're tough as nails. You know those guys? That's Peter. But at some point in his life, the Lord softened his heart to where he became a man that used the word precious throughout his letter to this church in, in, in First Peter, he, he said it's to the scattered, which the vision and the heart behind City View and why we do what we do. I mean, we got our statements, but Nehemiah chapter one, verse nine says, God made a promise to me. God said, Jeremiah, as long as City View is a place where my name dwells, where it's not about you, it's never to be about the personality. That, it's, I, I don't want City View, that's why you will rarely ever see a picture of me on our social media because I don't want that I don't want to be I, I don't I don't desire to be famous will I ever write a book I don't I don't know I I'm not a good writer you should see my notes the reason I don't send them to Josh is I don't want him to critique my terrible English but Jesus said Jeremiah as long as this place is a place where it's all about me I will gather the scattered. Those who have walked away, those who so desperately need me, I will gather them. He says, to a place where I've chosen my name to dwell. And so Peter writes this letter to the scattered. To the scattered who are going through some terrible persecution. Some terrible times. Their, their faith is being tested in every moment, in every single way. Their faith in, in God, their faith in living, their faith in their workplace, their faith in their marriage, their faith in every possible thing. They're being attacked. And as we get to the end, First Peter chapter 5, he talks about your faith is going to be tested like a lion coming after you. There's all of this tension. But Peter says you can't stop. We won't stop. Because we need to live for Jesus. Jesus has given us hope, and that hope is for the world, and he wants to use you to share it. So that's this idea of we can't stop, we won't stop. And last week, Jared preached on submitting, the importance of submitting to governing authorities and leaders and bosses. And today, we're looking at marriage. A key point in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake. We, we got to remember that because that's key. That's to all people. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. It's because the Lord has called us not to one up one another, but submit to one another to come underneath one another's authority. I, my wife and I, on our vacation, when we went away to California, we listened to a book. Usually I read only spiritual leadership books. I'm weird. I love leadership books. I love 
Christian living books. I love any book that gives me a good kick in the butt that helps me become a better me. That's what I love. But this time we read a more different kind of book. We read a book called Band of Brothers. Um, it's about this crew, these, this group of men called the E Company who fought in World War II. And man, let me tell you, those guys were really neat guys. Like they were bad, cool guys. Man, if I could have, I would want to fight with them. Listen to them. And there's a guy named Winters on there. He's their commander. But there's a point in there where their main commander was Sobel. Nobody liked him. They were all going to try to have this mutiny against him. And they came to Winters. And Winters says, no, you can't do that. Submitting is even when you don't like the person who's leading. And then Winters later on in the book became a higher ranking than Sobel. And Sobel walks right by him and ignores him. And he says, Sobel, you may not like me, but you respect the badge or the rank. So Sobel came back. And that's submitting. And that's this idea as, as Peter is going into this, and, and, it, and it's getting into this uncomfortable point, especially in our modern culture. Because our modern culture wants everything to, it, it's just, it's so jacked up. The world, my wife and I, when she heard a couple of you are pregnant, she's like, why? And I thought, man, because these parents are going to raise radical kids. They're going to change the world but our world is jacked. And the world that you young people and that those of you who have young people are going to raise them in this world, it's not easy because everything is fighting at them. So these ideas, as Peter is talking about marriage, we look going, no, that, that's, that's just, Peter is talking about then. No, 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 it's, it fits perfectly today because God has not changed. Are there cultural things of women wearing head, head things on their head? Yeah, that, that's cultural, but this is not. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if, any of, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must, be merely, must not be merely external, braiding of hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, which is, imper- which is the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is precious in the sight of God. For this is the way, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's cultural. I don't make Laramie walk around the house calling me Lord. If I did, that would not be cool. And you have become her children if you do what is right without her being frightened by any fear. You see, that's a key point right there. Without her being frightened by any fear, if your wife lives in fear of you, you are not doing anything right. You're failing as a husband. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, 
since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay, seven verses, Peter's talking about marriage, husbands and wives. Wives get six, husbands get one. People thought, that's not fair. Why do wives get six and husbands get one? Why is that the case? Why, why in the world? Well, here's the thing. Remember, as Peter's writing this, he is writing to a culture. And in this modern day culture, women's rights are not what they are today. Women's rights were you were pretty much a, a property of your husband or of your dad. That, that's your rights. You didn't get to do much of anything. You stayed in the home. You did what needed to be done. You, you did what you were told to do. That was the woman's rights. They were seen as property. They were not really seen as people who could make decisions and when there were not people who could be do anything outside of the home. That's the culture Jesus is writing in, or Peter is writing in. And so as Peter is writing this to these women and to this church, he's realizing that there's some uncomfortable things that have happened. But you see, when, when a woman would make a decision to follow Jesus, when Jesus came to the earth, when Jesus came, lived, and died, he changed everything about rights. He honored women and honored men. He loved them equally. He gives them grace equally. He gives them a voice equally. Jesus changed everything. But the gospel, as these women, when they would come to know Jesus, it wasn't like God was like, well, okay, this is for men and, and a little bit for women. No, Jesus came for all. The gospel is no respecter of person. So after Jesus came and died and the gospel is being preached, every people are getting saved all over the place. God doesn't say, well, Jesus died first for the men and then for the women. No, Jesus died for all. So here's why this is such a big deal. When a woman became a follower of Jesus, this changes everything. She's going against her household gods. She's going against current culture of being able to make a decision on your own. She's going against her husband. She's going against her family. She's going against culture. So in every possible way, she is saying, I don't need that. I've found Jesus. And that starts breaking things. That starts breaking strongholds. The devil hated it that salvation now is for all people. She, a woman in that time could lose her life for making a choice. So why does Peter give women six verses to the men five, to the men one? Because I believe there was so much more at stake for them. I believe they risked much. Both risked much. We see a man doesn't risk his wife killing him because he became a believer, but a woman risked her husband killing her because she became a believer. I think it's because Peter knew they need encouragement and they need guidance. And what does this look like? So Peter says in verses one through six, he says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that means if they haven't come to know Jesus yet, that they might be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. 
as they watch you, as your husband watches your chaste and respectful behavior. We, had a, we have a lady that comes here who just became a believer not long ago. And she asked me, she goes, is it okay that I come even though my husband's not a believer? Like that, that's, you, you think this is just cultural. No, I'm telling you, this happens today. In, in America, it's one thing, but you've got other countries and other places where it's just as risky as it was then. And so she came and she asked me this real question. I said, yeah, it's totally fine. I go, just don't force Jesus down your husband's throat. Because that our passion can turn to wanting everybody to do what we want, right? He says, your adornment must be merely external braiding, must not be merely external braiding of hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Some, some Christian religions have taken this and said, women, your adornment, they, they just say, you can't do this. You can't look like a, a woman. You need to just be very plain. No fancy dresses, no jewelry, no nothing. That's some Christian religions have gone that far. No, Peter doesn't say this. He says, your adornment must not be merely must not be only. Let that not be your focus. You see how our culture, though, has turned it into the focus? There's so much pressure for our young women to become something. Body shaming, every kind of shaming is possible out there. But Peter says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Peter says in the same way, referring back to verse 15 or 13 of chapter two, in the same way, what's that way? The way is for the Lord's sake. Why do you submit? For the Lord's sake. Does submit mean you're not any better? Does submit mean you go and do, if he says you do terrible things? Does submit mean going against your conscience? Does submit mean going against your beliefs in Jesus? No, it doesn't mean that. Submit means coming underneath the leadership of your husband. Now, part of our biggest problem in our current culture is husbands don't lead. They don't do anything. Or if they do lead, they're jerks. And in this current statement, Peter is speaking to women whose husbands are not believers, and God's heart is that, that those wives might win their husbands. Peter doesn't want the wives to nag or preach at them or manipulate them. That's why he says with a quiet heart. He doesn't want you to nag, preach. So as I was talking to this wife, this was a couple months ago, I said, don't, just don't nag, don't preach at him, just be gentle, because your life and your love, God says, has more power than your nag. He wants them to win them with their love. And it's not easy. But like I said earlier, doing hard things for something we don't care about is called stress. But doing hard things for something we love is called passion. And passion brings hurt. Peter's not asking them to, to do for their husbands, but to do it for the Lord. He's not saying, do it for your husband. No, it's, it's doing it for the Lord. Peter then goes into verses two through four, 
And, and he speaks about as, as they observe, as they're watching you, don't make your appearance solely on, on this outward beauty, but make it the person of your heart. And so for many of us, like our hearts are cluttered. And we're so focused on this that we haven't let Jesus impact this. And let, because once the inside you is seen and once the inside you is made whole and you've allowed Jesus to impact the inside you, they, then it goes out and people notice that. Peter's referring to a heart of humility when, he, when he's speaking of this um, and let your, the hidden person of your heart, which is imperishable quality and a gentle and quiet spirit. He's not saying wives don't talk. He's, he's not getting rid of you as a person. So many religions, so many Christian religions have taken this passage and turned it into wives. You sit at home, you wear your jean dress, you put your hair up, and you just do whatever I tell you to do. Stay in the kitchen, stay in the house, and don't do anything. That's what many Christian religions have taken from this passage and have turned women into this weird, I don't even know, not what God called you to be. Because you read throughout scripture, you read about some mighty women. You read about Deborah, who goes and leads warriors. You read about Jael, who takes a tent stake and stabs it through a person's head. You read about Ruth, who becomes one of Jesus's grandparents. You read about Rahab, a woman who was a prostitute and God totally changes her life. You read about Mary, a young girl, born not knowing what she would do, but one day she becomes the mother of Jesus. You read about Philip's daughters, who become these prophetesses, these deacons, I mean, who are preaching, and not preaching, but who are speaking truths and coming inside the church and helping and doing these things. You see these mighty women who aren't just stuck in a closet, but are used by God. But Peter is wanting them to make sure that in their homes they win their husbands with love. I heard a story. Brian Gandy, you guys, some of you maybe you've met him. He preached a couple weeks ago, and he's a missionary. And he was talking to a pastor from another country, um, from, from uh, one of the countries in Africa. And this pastor was telling him this crazy story that happened. And so there was this woman who, who became a Christian and she started following Jesus, but her husband was not. And this is how the story goes. Another woman stood up and gave her testimony. She told the group that she became a follower of Jesus and her husband got very angry. This was recent. This was not a long time ago. This was just a few years ago. This is in our modern culture, our modern state, which you can take 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 and put it right now in 2023, Africa. Okay? She says he became very angry with, and, um, with her and refused to go to his place of wor her place of worship with him. He told all his relatives and neighbors that he did not know <coughs> what to do with his wife. She told her husband that she was going to a week-long meeting where she could learn more about Jesus. This only made him more angry. He wanted to know who would clean his house. Who would cook his food if she went away? She assured him that he would do just fine and it would only be for five days. After she left, he told all his neighbors that she would not set foot back in his house again. He locked up all the doors and the windows and left just to make his decision sure. So he left his house, locked it up, 
made it to where she couldn't go in. You understand this? Boarded up the home. Then he does this. Just to make sure, um, he went to the river, and as he was crossing over the bridge, he took the house keys and threw them into the river. Pretty dramatic. Husbands, we can be dramatic sometimes. Can't we? (laughs) You are never going outside again for the rest of your life. Husbands, we can be dramatic. So after she left, or no, when the woman came home, she thought of how her husband must have had a difficult week cooking for himself. So she decided to stop by, buy food from the market to cook his favorite meal. When she arrived home, she found her house locked up tight and her husband was nowhere to be found. She went to her neighbors, but no one would tell her what had happened. She finally asked one of her neighbors to help her cook the food so it would not spoil. They started to clean the fish, and as they cut open the fish, a key fell out onto the floor. They could not believe their eyes. They have never seen a key come out of a fish before. The neighbor told her that it looked like the key to her house, so she encouraged her to go and try it, and it fit. So she opened her house and finished cooking the meal. When her husband heard that she was in the house, he became very angry once again. He rushed home and found to his surprise that there was no sign of breaking. He demanded to know how she got in the house. She showed him the key as she told him the story of the key falling out of the stomach of the fish. Then she served him the meal and he ate in silence and went straight to bed. The next day, he asked if he could go to church with her on Sunday. As they sat in church together, he just sat in silence. After the service, he asked if he could talk to the pastor alone. She took her husband to meet him and talk with the pastor. He told the pastor that this Jesus was a worker of miracles. And he asked what he needed to do to become a follower of Jesus, like his wife. As Peter says, wives... Love your husbands. Wives, submit so that they might be one. That happened just a few years ago. In our current culture, in our current United States, that would not be the place. But how many husbands have been lost because of not wanting to follow what the Lord says? And now we come to men. Verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. In the same way. Peter says this again. He's referring back to chapter 2, verse 13, four the Lord's sake. That's your why. Wives, that's your why. Why do you submit? Why do you follow your husband? For the Lord's sake, because it's honoring to the Lord. Husbands, why do you love your wives and why do you do these things we're going to go into? For the Lord's sake. And it says, for the Lord's sake, as he says in verse 7, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Husbands, let me show you what an understanding way is not. Would you please play the I did the choreography myself. Hey, honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? 
The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cause I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. trip next week on your birthday I didn't ask you but I knew it'd be okay I'll go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show I taped it over our old wedding video if you're a man who done that a long and happy life lives up a place you to solo okay so that's not living with your wife in an understanding way that's a perfect example, and there's so many other ways that we can not do the right thing, but here's what Peter's talking about. Be sensitive to her. Consider your wife's deepest physical and emotional needs. Not yours, but hers. Study your wife. Know her likes and dislikes. Know what breaks her heart Know what drives her and gives her passion. Know her goals. Know her frustrations. Know her desires. Know her strengths and her weaknesses. In the physical, emotional, and spiritual areas. Peter says, husbands, be a forever student of your wife. Because it will take you your whole life to figure it out. Husbands, know your wives. This takes time. It takes effort. This takes paying attention. Because how many times have... I can't tell you how many times when I've been in a conversation and the husband said, let's go do this, and she's like, you know I don't like that. And I thought, how long have you been married? And how did you not know? Because he was never a student of her, he wanted her to be a student of him. Nowhere in the Bible does it say wives study and know your husbands. It says husbands, because you want to know why it doesn't have to say that? Because she already knows you. She knows how you like your breakfast in the morning. This morning, my wife made me cold oatmeal with, I told her, I said, it was a little too sweet last time. I don't like super sweet breakfast in the morning. She said, did you notice that it was less sweet? I said, I did. She goes, I put less whatever kind of milk she put in it. It was good. She, I don't, God doesn't have to tell her, hey, wives, know your husbands, because he doesn't have to remind them. They already do that. They know what you like. They know what you don't like. I call my wife. I'm like, hey, honey, what would I like here? And so she'll look at the menu. I think you'll like this. I'm like, okay, thank you. Because I don't even know myself. says, husbands, know your wives. Because Peter knew you're going to struggle with this one. Ask questions and actually listen. Because you just might learn something that might help your marriage week or day just get a little bit better. Husbands, know your wives. And then he says, in verse 7, you husbands, know your wives, 
understand them in an understanding way as with someone weaker. This has been misunderstood for a long time. I think by the same group of people that put their wives in like jean clothing and make them never leave their house. Same thing. Weaker. Well, what does it mean? Well, we as a culture, we look at weakness as if it's bad. Does, do you know how God looks at weakness? It's a good quality. It's actually one of the better qualities that is preached about throughout all of the New Testament. God talks about it in Matthew chapter 3, chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. When Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who do not have the strength to go on. Blessed are them. That Jesus says it's a blessing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through um. Um, 30, he says, God, Paul writes this, but for consider your calling, brother, not many of you were wise or mighty, but God called the foolish and the weak. And then again, we see in scripture, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 22 through 25, where it says, and in my weakness, God is strong. James 2.5 talks about humility. James 4.6 talks about humility again. What Peter is saying, he's speaking not weakness. Like I heard one pastor preach that it's weakness because she ate the fruit first and she's weaker and she's not as strong. No. One, it's teaching out the basic. Women typically are not as strong as men. There's this video I wanted to post, but I, I didn't share it, even though I really wanted to. And it's this person that's talking about women's rights and women having the equal right as a man. I just heard this whole thing about should a woman of equal height and equal stature of Floyd Mayweather, should they be able to fight in a boxing match? And this woman said, yes, if they are the same weight, class, and everything, they should. I go, are, are we really that stupid of a nation? I wouldn't fight, fight. I wouldn't fight anybody, first off, who is, does jujitsu or boxing. I have a friend who is a jujitsu guy, and I have my brother as a boxer. I would let them fight each other, um, but I would not. That's just not my. And I'm listening like we, we've lost the understanding. So it's one, it's, it's know your wife, understanding that she is not as strong as you. Now, are there some different? There are some wives who are way stronger than their husbands, and I have seen that. That's just different. But can we admit, as a norm, men typically are stronger than women? Are we willing to admit it as a culture here in this room? If you're not, that's totally okay. But I'm just telling you this is the Bible. As one commentator put it, he says, men need to be chivalrous, which we have forgotten. Men need to be protectors. Men need to be providers. Men need to be men and men, the last thing our world wants you to be is a man. They would rather you sit on the sidelines and be weak. But a man, as I've said before, a man rejects passivity. A man accepts responsibility. A man leads courageously. And a man looks to the greater reward. That is a man a man is not a pushover. 
A man is not a cave-in. A man is not somebody who just goes according to whatever anybody else says. No, a man is called to lead. God is calling men to stand for the helpless, to stand for the weak, to be men, to be strong, to be builders, to be fixers, to be warriors. That's what God is calling men to be. As I read this book, Band of, of brothers, there's this guy named Winters in there. And man, he is like one of my heroes now. Listening about him, he's this commander who first just started as a regular uh petty officer or whatever. I don't know all the names of it. Just started regular. But then he just became a, he was just a good leader. The men liked him. And so little by little, he went up in the ranks and little by little, men started following him. And little by little, he became this man who stood up. And there was this moment in the book, if you're going to read it, I don't know, but there's a moment in the book where he is, all his men are on this road. It's this key battle that happens in World War II. And they've got to go take over this place in Holland. And he sends these men ahead and gunfire starts happening. And so all these men start to hide, they start to hide in this ravine, these ravines. And Winters get up and he said, so the book says he starts kicking them in. Get up, get up. Gunfire is going. And he gets up and he starts leading this charge. When Peter speaks to the men, he's wanting you to lead the charge. He's not wanting you to sit on the sidelines. He's not wanting you to cave. He wants you to lead the charge. To lead the charge of what a godly husband looks like. Husbands, he says, know your wives. Understand that they are weaker. And that you are called to be a protector. You're called to be strong. It's okay to be strong. And the last thing he says is, husbands, honor your wife. Respect your wife as a joint heir. The husband is not above or better. Peter says they are equal in the eyes of God. Peter says marriage is this picture of God's great grace, of God's loving relationship that he has with us. And he says marriage is to be that picture. And Jesus showed us what that kind of love is like when he died on a cross. He said, husbands, love your wives just as Jesus was able to give everything And I know we have not had great examples in our lives. I know some of you have had bad husbands, bad fathers. It doesn't mean you go and don't do. It doesn't mean you turn off. But here's the one thing we do know. We know that Jesus came and he became who we need. His Father is our perfect heavenly Father who loves us and who will carry us through. Jesus gave his life for us that we might have life. Marriage is not easy. It's tough. But as I said earlier, doing hard things for something you don't care about is called stress. Which for some of us, our marriage is stressful because we don't really care. But doing hard things for something you love is passion. And when you do it because you love Jesus, because you know he died for you, and he gives you his grace, it will come with pain. But it comes with Jesus.
our passion is Jesus' grace. And because of his great grace, we can love like he does for the Lord's sake. This is our why for the Lord's sake because of his grace. So for you, what does this look like? What Peter said earlier. He said earlier in chapter two, he said, how do you do it? Do what is right. How do you do it? Do it with respect. To all people, he says, submit. Putting the other person's needs before you. Why do you do it? Because of his grace. Because it's his will. Because he loves you first. And we can do it. But you can't do it in your own strength, because you will try. You can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the only way you can do it. The only way this wife, as I read that story, could do it was because of the power of the Holy Spirit in her. They gave her the strength to go, I'm going to love my husband just like Peter talked about. I'm going to love him. And what did she see? She saw him one to the Lord. So, imagine a world where husbands studied their wives, protected their homes, and honored and where wives were so willing to follow their husbands. Can you imagine what that would do for our kids? Can you imagine what that would do for our country? It just might change things. We can't stop. We won't stop living for the Lord because our world needs Jesus. And it needs you. It needs you to live for him. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your love, care. Holy Spirit, many of us in here, we're looking, going, I don't, I don't know if I can love my husband like that. I, I don't know if I can love my wife like that. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in and fill our hearts and give us the power to live for you. Jesus, we ask that you would guide us and strengthen us. That you would show us in your word just the, the, what we need to get through each and every day. Lord, I ask a blessings upon these marriages in this room. Lord, that you would strengthen them. Lord, I pray for the men. May they live and act as men. Lord, I pray for the women. May they live as the women you've called them to be. And Jesus, our country desperately needs you. And you have chosen to allow us to be the light in this world. So Lord, may we not hide your light, but may it shine through us, through our lives, through our work, through our marriage, in every way. Lord, may you be seen in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click that follow button and tune in next week for another great message.